found yourself no longer a part of the Christian, conservative Christian world that you came from, for whatever reason. Maybe you were kicked out. Maybe you left because you couldn't buy the doctrines anymore, whatever it was, the clothes no longer fit. And you've still found yourself on some sort of faith trajectory within some sort of Christian uh, heritage. And it just feels a little more left-leaning, liberal, progressive. That liminal space is what I'm interested in, is helping people navigate and survive that journey. One of the most persistent criticisms of religious progressivism is that it's reactive, pushing back against and sometimes warring against older institutional practices deemed out of date, unhelpful, or even unjust. And while there's some good to such a posture, it doesn't constitute a full enough profile of leadership. In his book, The Shift, Colby Martin rises to meet that challenge and critique, not only by delving into his own journey, but by pulling principles of leadership, cultural formation, and communal care out of his story. Things that do, in fact, provide a more complete picture of what it looks like to lead. I enjoyed his book and our conversation. I think you might as well. Check it out. Yeah, how are you today, though, man? It's been, because uh, you're in the towards San Diego area, yes? Uh, yes, in San Diego. You're in proper, San Diego. Properly. And so you guys have been on, because yes. you're California like I am, you guys have been uh, yeah. sheltered home for a good stretch already. Good stretch. How it's, you, it's been how, a great stretch. Does that feel good? <laughs> Do you like this? Is this does this work for uh, you? Oh, so the way I answered that the first three weeks was, hey, you know, all things considered, it's not too different for us, for yeah. our family, because yeah. we've homeschooled for um, many years, and my wife and I both, you know, working for the church full time means our job has been flexible, meaning we've worked at home often, on and off, right. Anyway, so not a whole lot was different for us, uh, but then last week came, <laughs> and I think we just got tired and sick and tired of each other and ourselves. So yeah, so we hit a wall last week. Um, we're fumbling our way through it. Oof. It's all right though. I get that. I don't know. I, I mean, the good news is we do things. we do like each other, like as a family. Yeah. We do well together. Uh, we we live in a nice neighborhood, nice house, so it doesn't feel crappy to be trapped. Right. Yeah. I think for a lot, I think it'll be there. We'll we'll see a lot of the like no one's plan. That's the thing we <laughs> I had the conversation like day three with someone, and which it's like you know we've you know we've nationally and culturally, if you're more than thirty five or whatever, like you've been here once or twice in some way, shape or form where like things shut down, whether, you know, California rolling blackouts or fires and it gets, mm. you know, you got smoke season or, you know, places with tornadoes or earthquakes or hurricanes or, you know, nationally you had, you know, September 11th and, but <laughs> like, and so there's, there's a little bit of a, like an emotional preparation for like, okay, we can do that. Nobody's done this for a month. Like nobody's done this. Nobody's done this <laughs> no, for two. Yeah. No one's done this for t a month, two months, and then like getting into month two, looking out and not having the foggiest idea when it actually. And no one knows. Like, and that's the thing. Like, no one's actually prepared for. Like we, like we, mm. like you can be as prepared as you want to be for all kinds of other stuff and love your life and your neighborhood and your family, but to be locked in, um, necessarily for three four months and it, an and indeterminate it, amount of time yeah. yeah well you know and some of the stuff i'm hearing from from friends in the field uh who are like working on the science side of things it's like yeah you know honestly it's probably it probably it should be and probably and like and it will be something more like at least like off and on shelter and home like 18 months 20 months 24 months <laughs> that's not that can't be real i think it might be uh, I don't, like i don't know your friends but i don't like them already so. i know i i don't like them either i mean there's but you know they're my uh, science friends. so um you're in san diego yes is that where you're from are you from san diego that is no i'm from oregon born and raised my wife and i both how long actually let's do this how long have you been there eight years now okay so actually we've been here longer than we you know for my wife and i at least married 
so we, we met in middle school in Oregon and uh, That's so got cute. married. Well, yeah, it's, it's something we've it's been a long time, brother. Uh, yeah. And we, uh, I went to school in Oregon, graduated there. Actually, actually, I think you might've played a concert there like back in the day. Where were you? Do you, do you remember Western Baptist college in Salem, Oregon? Yes, I was there. What? That was there okay. a long time ago. Uh, yeah, long time. I was there 97 to, no, I'm sorry. 2000 to 2004 yep. was my yeah, it was my tenure there. Yeah, I would have been there probably yeah, about two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, I was. It was like a there was a basketball game happening across the way, and something about and I've never experienced this before. Something about <laughs> the way they had the room wired. My guitar, the because I had a little microphone leader. My guitar and the microphone was picking up the radio signal from the basketball game, <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't figure out oh. the hell that sound was. Where it was just like wow. this weird, like thing, and it sounded like somebody talking, and 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 it went through, it ran through the entire entire set. And at the tail end, like I was talking to the sound guy, he's like, "Hey, man, sorry about the basketball game." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> he's like, "What basketball game?" He's like, "That's what you were hearing." <laughs> and I was like. Oh, was that in the house too? He's like, yeah, it was in the house. Okay, great, thanks. You guys appreciate having me in. It was good. Oh, that's amazing. I think we were just trying to pipe in crowd noise to yeah, to, yeah. to give you both, some. Uh, both, yeah, because yeah, that was not. I feel over, like it was enough. I was not going over well. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I was there. I think I was there. But so you were there. For, uh, yeah, you were there so, from from ninety seven to two thousand two thousand two. No, no, no. Sorry, uh, I graduated high school two thousand. So I was in college two thousand to two thousand four. Okay, and then. Um, Stayed in Salem for a couple of years after that as a worship pastor at a church there. And then we moved outside of Phoenix and we were in the suburb of Phoenix for about five years. Hmm. And then I got uh, fired from that church when my theology on uh, LGBTQ inclusion shifted. Yeah. And then that through that process is how I found a church here in San Diego that I came out to work at for almost two years. That was a dumpster fire. But then out of the ashes of that dumpster fire, my wife and I started our church that we've been running now for six years. Hmm. So that's how I got here. And yeah, hopefully that's how I'll stay here. Yeah. So does so you like San Diego in general? Does it feel mm. like just does? do you like San Diego because it's San Diego and the weather and the culture? Does it feel like home? Do you feel like, ah, uh, yes, this is where the Martins can be and live and stay and have roots? Yeah, it, it it really does. I love the pace here, as it turns out. Hmm. Um, and I love the sunshine, which I didn't realize. And I loved uh, or love the beach. So growing up in Oregon, nobody went to the beach. It was called the coast and it was cold and it was yeah. windy and sand was just obnoxious. So I never considered myself an ocean beach person. Uh, but then we moved here. At, uh, suddenly I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is good. This is good. And uh, yeah, I just love the slower, laid back pace. I love the diversity. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm here for the long haul if I can, if I can help it. The church you're, you're at now um, was, if I'm getting your story right, like, you helped start a community with a group of folks that were sort of like looking for a place to be like, and they were moving from other places to some degree. Is that right? Like it was sort of like you didn't, you didn't just set up shop and like folks started coming in. There was there, you were working with some materials that, that were already there. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the church we moved out here to join, um, um, yeah, that just didn't that didn't end well. That didn't go well. That right. was a that was a rough spot. So when I got fired from there, my second church in two years, um, upon my exit, there was about twenty or thirty other people that were like, "This, yeah, if 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 the church is choosing this direction, which and they're sending Colby out the door, then Colby and Kate, that's where we have seen." Those have really been our pastors. That's really where we've seen um, life and transformation. So they left the church when I got fired. And then um, subsequently, Kate and I finally decided to just start a church, which we'd been dreaming about at that point for about five years. And uh, and, the, and the few people that had left the church that we came from um, came over to our living room Sunday mornings for a while. And uh, yeah, that just sort of led to uh, more people hearing about it than more than... 
moving out of our living room to grade school and uh, yeah, now we're about six years in Yeah, and it's, it's a blast and it's stressful and it's the most exciting and energizing and draining thing I've ever done. Yeah. Is church planning. Did you have a vision for it going in, like even a loose vision? Like I do want, like after moving away from, uh, you know, actually being asked to move away from a, an institutional church environment and then yeah. having a kind of a second moment in which it was like the shit hit the fan again, in a different way. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you, ha did you, did, and it's not like a resilience thing. It's just a vision thing, right? Like some people are just resilient and they fight through. Did you have, like, a, did you continue to maintain a vision or develop a new vision for actually developing an institutional gathering, et cetera? Or, or were you like, was it one day at a time? Like, were you working from a vision or were you not totally sure? And you're just going to see what happened. Like how did, how that happened in yeah, your own heart? That is such a, a poignant and smart question that tells me that you have some experience in this area because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, most, and, and of course I never read any church planning books or attended any church planning seminars, but I imagine, uh, if you were to do any of that, uh, you know, along the same lines as any sort of entrepreneurial effort, you should have a vision, you should have a mission, you should have, uh, some sort of a plan before you launch uh, so that you know what you're going to be about and what you're trying to do in the world. And we really didn't have that. And part of that was by uh, necessity. So we weren't planning to start a church. Um, I wasn't planning to get fired the Sunday that I did. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, we were building the plane in the air. Uh, but then also it occurred to me pretty early on that that I and we didn't really know who we were going to be in the world. And so we kind of just had to do it for a while and, and let our vision and our mission emerge out of uh, the people who showed up and where we felt drawn to and what compelled us and what interested us. So even, even in those moments where people were like, what's the vision? Uh, part of it was like, well, I don't know. But part of it was like, well, let's just wait, let's wait and see. Let's, uh, let's not, let's not rush into this. Let's just see what happens. And so it was a very, very loose, uh, we, we operated more out of values in the beginning. Like, okay, we know, we don't know what we're going to be about or why we exist, which is mission and vision, but we can talk about how we function. And for us, that was our values. So we're going to function from an egalitarian perspective, men and women equal co-pastors. We're going to function from an inclusive perspective. So all people, regardless of um, orientation, gender identity, uh, race, race, religious creed, like everyone can be a part of this thing. Um, we're going to, families are going to be a, a huge value of ours. Uh, and so we just had these like, well, here's how we're going to operate. We don't know necessarily what we're going to do, but, and so we, the first year was almost, almost just lived out of our values. And then we sort of started to begin to develop what our, our vision was. And now our mission our mission is clear. Our mission is wholeness, spiritual, social, and emotional wholeness. And that's what we try to foster. There's this thing I do um, with guests. I normally wait till deeper into the into the conversation to, to do this little practice. This is kind of like practice of lexicon because, uh, but I want to, I want to do that a little bit earlier here so they can lean on some of this um as the conversation goes on but the idea here is like that there are words in your personal lexicon that are also in the kind of the broader cultural lexicon which is to say that they're in other people's lexicons and sometimes our uses conflict sometimes our uses <laughs> of words um can sort of enlighten and part of what you do as an author as a teacher is you'll take this same set of words people are using and you'll actually try to read like reorient the words sort or of twist it around a little bit. So folks, you see that here's the other side of this word. So I'm going to throw some words at you that are, that are to some degree, at least in like in your lexicon. And instead, I'm not looking for you to, there's no right way to do this for you. You can either define the word. This is what this is. Um, or you can just talk about what it draws out of you. Like if there's a kind of sparks, Oh my gosh, here's a story about this. So yeah, I'm just going to yeah. throw some words at you. Um, and it's not like a speed round. Take as much time as you want with anything. But I'm gonna throw some words at you and then just like, give me, you know, give me like a, the 30, 30 seconds to a minute on that word, either as definition or story, or just kind of gut feeling about it. I love it. Church. Yeah. 
church to me is this surprising enterprise that began as kind of an experiment 2000 years ago. Can we gather eclectic people from diverse backgrounds, different perspectives? Can we gather people together and live in harmony? Can we rejoice with those who rejoice? Can we weep with those who weep? Can we practice at that time these um, these patterns of behavior that Jesus embodied of mercy and kindness and compassion and forgiveness? Can we can we model ourselves in this way while being in community with each other? And it was an experiment early on. Like I don't think Paul had any illusion that it was going to work half the time. <laughs> he was he was just trying to throw stuff at the wall to see what stuck and. Over time, these patterns emerged of rituals and ways of binding communities together. And here we are 2,000 years into this experiment. And in many ways, it is fascinatingly uh, enduring the way that it has, the way that it's still around and the way that it still functions. So for me, uh, church is kind of like this time-tested way of organizing ourselves in community to live in certain patterns uh, and rituals and practices so that we can uh, embody a sense of belonging. And that's really what I think our church is about, is belonging, not fitting in. You don't have to adapt to any sort of certain behaviors. You don't have to fit any creed. You don't have to sign any dotted line. Belonging is just um, inherently given to you because you are a child of God. And um, and if you need a reminder, seven days from now, we're <laughs> going to do this whole thing over again so that you can be reminded that you belong talk about community community is messy it's hard it is uh it goes wrong probably more often than it goes right um it is uh, it is sort of doomed to cause suffering and pain uh, because it it requires that people open themselves up and make themselves vulnerable uh, to one another. And in so doing that, suddenly you are um, exposed and you can be hurt in ways that otherwise, if you didn't practice community and you just, <laughs> I almost said sheltered, like if you just stayed in your own home all the time, like we're doing now, uh, it's far safer for you, far safer for you. So community goes wrong more often than, than it goes right. But when it goes well, I think community is in many ways, you could argue, what we're here for on some sort of, I don't know what my metaphysics are anymore, but on some sort of uh, cosmic larger than just flesh and blood, uh, the table in front of me, the earth, like deeper than that, there is an invitation to be together. There's an invitation to be in relationship. And I think uh, that community is, it's imperfect, but it's the best way that we have right now to, uh, to I think access some of the deepest truths about what it means to be alive. Talk about theology. It's interesting. Um, I think it's overrated. So I can remember my Bible professors often telling me that, you know, the most important thing about any person is what comes to mind when they think about God. And, and I come from a tradition, a conservative Baptist evangelical tradition, where the assumption was, and I think this is Christianity at some point got off course. Uh, real early on in in this um, in this endeavor, but at some point along the way, we decided that the most important thing to God, like the Creator of the entire universe, universe cares the most about what exists between our ears, the beliefs, the ideas, the thoughts that are in our head. That somehow is of the most import to the divine. And I don't think that's real. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's what God cares about most. And so theology is is interesting to me. Um, I happen to get a kick out of it, partly because of how I'm wired, partly because of just my background. I enjoy it. But the minute it becomes a thing that somehow indicates whether or not you are accepted by God, loved by God, um, part of the family of God, uh, then I think, oh, geez, no, that is that is getting in the way uh, of 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 connection and truth and wholeness. So I like theology, Justin. Uh, I can talk about it um, and, and really not get tired, but I think it has been overly elevated to to um, have far more weight than it deserves. Uh, two more, I think. Um, 
what is progressivism? Talk about progressivism. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're, you're not wrong to want to define some of these terms right out the gate. So in my, uh, in my book that's coming out here soon, uh, titled The Shift, Surviving and Thriving After Moving from Conservative to Progressive Christianity, I, I say in the introduction, uh, I at least try to give some operating mm-hmm. assumption of where I'm coming from when I say progressive. And for me, I say progressive to be progressive is at least and I think I have four markers in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have it right on hand, but I think it's at least when someone is progressive, they mean that they are um, LGBTQ affirming which is to say that being gay or trans or queer is not inherently evil. It's not an abomination, does not uh, preclude you from being a child of God. Um, So being progressive means you are affirming of queer people. Uh, Two, it means you are egalitarian as it relates to male and female, that you do not see a hierarchy there, that you do not see that man is the head and that woman is somehow less than or uh, subservient to. Um, three, it means that you have an agreeableness towards science. So science is not an enemy to faith that when science uncovers more of what is true about the universe, that we celebrate that as good thing, that we're not, uh, denying the, the truth of, of the sciences. And then I think the fourth thing I say is that to be progressive is to have an awareness of, um, the, the presence of, uh, things like white supremacy, uh, and and deeply systemic racism, and to have a, some sort of commitment to undoing that. So for me, to say progressive is kind of a shorthand way of naming those four things. Now, certainly it can mean a whole lot more than that, but I think it that's like the lowest bar. If you're going to claim to be progressive, those are the sort of um, those are some basic assumptions you can have. That's good. So you you wrote the, uh, you wrote a book about this, and I, and this is going to be something of a meta question here. Why write a book about it? Like what like uh, of what value right now for you in your mind? Like why why mm-hmm. write a book about it as opposed to just like as um, as culture talking about shifts as culture shifts and the way people engage with information to some degree evolves and changes. Why write a why write and publish a book about this shift now? Like instead of um, instead of any other kind of medium, was it, was it like is it just because this is like this is part of what you do? Is this a practice of yours? You you this is your second uh, second published book. The other one was Unclobber. It's a really good book. Um, or was it like did did putting this in ink on paper say something that you needed it to say? that you wouldn't have gotten across if it was just a video series or a series of blogs or some sort of online resource. Like why a book? What a fascinating question. Why a book? Uh, I don't know that I've, I've thought about it in terms of why this medium and not others. I think I, I know for me, I love, I love writing. Um, and even as I'm sort of somewhat consciously aware of how I'm, performing if you will in this conversation i'm like i'm not a good talker uh without <laughs> notes or a script in front of me uh so just some sort of unscripted podcast series would uh would would clearly in my mind not be as effective mm. as a book um but i i love to write so part yeah. of what I, part of what i think i can help offer I almost said to the world, but i'm i don't offer things to the world the world doesn't even know i exist um uh, i mean significant world. yeah yeah, to part of what I think I can offer to anyone who might find themselves at the receiving end of my uh, work is I ha- I feel like I have some gifts in the area of taking kind of complicated uh, ideas and and making them accessible and not only that but but combining things in in different ways maybe that haven't been combined in uh, in that way before or to make it interesting. So make it accessible and to make it interesting. And I think I do that best by writing. I don't, you know, I preach almost every Sunday at my church. And in fact, a lot of the material in this book came out of some of my favorite sermons over the last five years. Yeah. But but, yeah, really for me, it's like, no, if if I can get it into a a book form, then I've suddenly distilled it into the most important words. Hmm. Because when I talk, 
you know, my, my, my philosophy in life is why use 10 words when 50 yeah. will do. Um, I just use, I, use, I, I can talk uh, too, too lot, but when I write, uh, it, it distills it down. It's good. Um, and people are still reading books, you know, like podcasts are taking off for sure, but, um, yeah, books are just, they're still there. Yeah. And books do, I mean, it's, you know, part of what I'm getting at to some degree is like, I mean, books really do carry a, a weight that other media still, for the most part, other media media yeah. just don't. There is there is something about Yeah, well said. There is something about a book that if you put it in a blog then and it's like and you know, four years later, two hell, a month and a half later, and you're uh, like your mind has changed or the culture shifts or whatever, you can be like, ah, well but but if you put it in a book, it's like it's on your tombstone. Like that's, that's like, that's, this is here. This is, it, it becomes somehow more. And I don't really understand it. And honestly, I don't really get it entirely, but there is this, like, there is this gravitas to, this is now a book. And especially if it's mm. not like self-published, it's like, this is a book and people put money and time behind this thing, which leads me to this question about the, the in your own mind, like the, the book is great. And the shift is a really good book. And so far as, like you do a really good job of of retracing your own story and drawing out of your experience without it becoming and not because I'm not a um a fan of a memoir but it's not a memoir it's like you're not it's no. not just like hey right. here's my story but you're also you're also pretty careful to say this is where I've been and this is what this now means in terms of how I practice my life so it's it's practical if you're if you were to act, like I'm the like point blank ask you like you know, you talk about this, this is the shift. You call it the shift. Is this move, the move that you've made, uh, the move that's kind of happened in you that you feel led in, is this inevitable? Like, is this what the, is this what the Lord God Almighty is actually up to culturally? And is that part of what you're wanting to do, to do with the book is help people live into what, is, what God is actually doing? Like, is this inevitable? Is this, is this what's going to happen? Do you, do you, do you feel that? Do you, or is that even like, is that even in your ballpark? Do you even care? Like, do you feel like this is what God is up to or is it enough for you right now to just be like, I don't know. This is just my backyard. I think we can, I think we can look back uh, at points in history, uh, whether it's larger like American history uh, or Western civilization history, uh, or even within the history of the church. I think we can look at moments in time and say that 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 moment experienced a radical shift in how people, uh, for instance, thought about God, how people mm -hmm. thought about themselves, how people thought about each other. Like we can we can identify some pretty significant uh, shifts throughout history, and I think if you were to zero in on uh, maybe some of the thinkers and the writers uh, and the preachers of those times who were talking about that maybe they would have said, I think this is an inevitable and mm -hmm. I think this is where everything's going. Mm -hmm. uh, but my hunch is that would be unknown, I think. Mm -hmm. So I, I am, I'm by and large, not a future prognosticator. I don't really get energized by it. I have no idea. I don't try to predict what's going to happen. I was on a conference call um, a couple of weeks ago with a lot of progressive uh, pastors and faith leaders talking about the way the coronavirus is affecting our church communities. And one of the, one of the people spoke up and said, I think when this um, pandemic is over and we can self-isolation is over, I think we're going to see churches just really explode as people are just desperate to get back together and be in community with each other and have relationships again yeah. outside of their home. And then, followed immediately by another pastor who said, no, I think this could potentially like kill many churches. I don't know that churches will survive this. And even if they do, I think this might cause enough of a rupture in the form of church that it won't come back. And I heard both of those and I just, I was neither compelled nor repelled by either one. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, so, so when I think about do do I think that the the topics in this book are like Thanos? They're inevitable. Yeah, I I'd be willing to say that some of them are maybe. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, the inclusion of queer people. I think that is a a ship that by and large has left the harbor. Um, and you know, whether it's ten years, fifty, or hundred from now, there will be a point where we look back and be like, whoa. 
I can't believe that that uh, people used to discriminate based on uh, who people were attracted to. That's right. that's just wild. You know, the same way that we look back now at some of the our our, our forefathers and foremothers, how they treated people with different skin color, or right. uh, the way that they thought that the Earth was the center of the universe. Like we look back, and we're like, man, I can't believe that that's what what they thought. Um, so I do think some of these things are inevitable, but. Uh, yeah. But do I think, I think you phrased it, do I think like the Lord God Almighty is moving people from, as I call it, conservative to progressive Christianity? I don't, I, I doubt it. I doubt it if for no other reason than because how convenient would that be that my own personal <laughs> shift happened right. to be the one trajectory that also the divine was moving people toward? Uh, the odds of that just seem really low to me. Yeah. But I also the same token. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of agnostic on whether or not God is moving humanity in any sort of particular direction. Mm. To me, that implies that there is a direction or a destination or um, some point in the future that there's a preferred path to get to the preferred destination. And I just don't know that that um, is true enough to say something like this is the direction that people are moving on. I think that's definitely been my journey. And certainly over the last six or seven years, as I've been um, doing local ministry and larger ministry throughout the country, many, many, many people are on this journey. Yeah. And so this is this is really this is my attempt to resource those people. Um, and I love how you pointed out this is not a memoir. Like there's plenty of those out there and yeah. they're amazing and they're good. This is not that. No. Neither is this a how-to book. I'm not no. going to say here's how you be a progressive Christian. It's not that. It's really saying, okay. So you found yourself no longer a part of the Christian conservative Christian world that you came from for whatever reason. Maybe you were kicked out. Maybe you left because you couldn't buy the doctrines anymore. Whatever it was, the clothes no longer fit. And you've still found yourself on some sort of faith trajectory within some sort of Christian uh, heritage. And it just feels a little more left-leaning, liberal, progressive. That that liminal space is what I'm interested in, is helping people navigate and survive that journey. Yeah. It works a little bit more like signposts uh, for folks who, yeah. who are in the same um, wilderness or whatever as you. What I, like, I don't want to make it just like if people are moving towards progressivism, it's all wilderness, although. Um, but it does work a little bit more like like a like signposts and there is and it does mm. like there there are times in you know i think you can we can and this is probably true of most humans but specifically in the folks trying to function in the pastoral there's times that it's just really important to to discern between and to distinguish for, for their listeners and followers between like truth telling teaching and instruction that kind of stuff versus like mm -hmm. witness bearing like this is i'm i'm telling you what i'm seeing it's good this is what I'm seeing, yeah. and this is what I'm doing, and this is what's really helpful right now, which just feels a little bit more like right. what you're doing with the book. It's like, hey, um, this is what I've seen. This is where I've been. This is what's working for me. And if you're if you're neck deep in this same stuff as I am, this will probably be helpful. This might be helpful for you. Yeah. Can you go yeah, to? Yeah, I think and, that. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that um, my religious heritage, the conservative evangelical tribe that I came from, I think it tied a lot of weights. Well, I know it tied a lot of weights to me, and I think it ties a lot of weights to other people. So part of what I try to do in this book is just either help untie those four people or give them permission to untie them themselves and say, look, this doesn't have to weigh you down like you've been told that it does. So the couple of things you've said, um, leave me a question I was going to ask you anyways, you talk about kind of untying and putting some things down. Um, and um, a moment ago, you're talking about like, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't really know that you said uh, you're talking about like whether or not God is particularly like directing humanity as a whole in a particular direction. Um, early in your book, you include a chapter, the, the title, I think I'm at the title, right? The title is, it's actually about like forsaking uncertain, no, forsaking, forsaking the foundation of certainty, um, uh -huh. which is a good, like, um, the the deconstructive conversation or the conversation on deconstruction can be how do I don't say this? It, <laughs> I'll just, it can just be done. It often is done just so incredibly poorly. It's just it's just a, a, a absolute dumpster fire of you know, like cultural like it's just people slinging random insults at you know uh, things they used to believe or people who used to believe them. 
there are like whereas like trying to be responsible about it and saying like hey there are things that i no longer believe and more to the point there are things i'm no longer certain of that it's not i'm not throwing babies out with bathwater. like i don't really know entirely uh which is highly responsible can you talk about some things for you and again like you you know you put a book out you're leading you're shepherding a group of people um are there things that for you you are certain of like are do you have for you like f- particularly foundational truths that n- not even in like the cosmic sense but like personally we're like hey if i lost this i don't know what i, I like it, like everything would have to change it's one of the things it's it's one of those questions that, like really dear atheist friends of mine come at me with regularly it's like you know if this you know if if this theological thing if this cultural thing if this emotional thing wasn't true for you would you be willing to change the way you live and think you know about everything what Mm. uh, do you have some of those things for you now that like that are more like the emotional psychological engine that like propel your work as a pastor as as an author what makes are there certainties in you that that actually do feed your soul yeah yeah there's there's Yes, there are. And also there's far fewer, far fewer than there were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, And as I sit here and and try to to mentally sift through them really quick, none of them strike me as particularly theological or or, no, 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 maybe maybe none of them strike me as particularly doctrinal. Okay, good. Uh, So I don't know that there's any I don't know that there's any. you know, quote unquote, Christian doctrine that I plant a flag of certainty into that would, that would undo me or shake me were it somehow disproven. I think the things that I'm, that I operate with a degree of certainty on are things such as um, impermanence. Hmm. Nothing lasts. Hmm. Everything fades away. Everything ends. Everything dies. Um, This is as true a thing as we can uh, imagine in the world is that nothing lasts and right along with that is nothing truly disappears. Like energy is constantly recycling the, the pattern of resurrection as we'll talk about here. It's a couple days before Easter as we're recording the, the, the reality of resurrection is a fundamental truth of the universe that Mm -hmm. everything is reborn out of something that died before it, everything. So those are that I'm, certain of and and to me that really impacts how i live so it it, it allows me to be a lot freer and looser trusting that uh, nothing is guaranteed to last um yeah. not jobs not money not possessions not relationships so there's some there's some liberty in there and then the, the um the hope that comes from being certain that um beautiful things are made out of the dust, you know, to quote yeah. the old, the old Gunger hymn. Uh, like I'm certain about that. And I'm, I'm also certain that, uh, love, you know, the apostle Paul says, um, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. It seems, it, it seems to me, uh, and this is true. This feels true on like an intuitive level. This feels true on a experiential. This feels true on an epistemological as just historical, all of it, it feels true to me that love remains, that's that good. love endures, that love somehow will always be there. And maybe that's the thing that connects the impermanence of everything dying and the and the, and, and the resurrection of new things, that love is the thing that makes all of that happen. So, yeah, I don't have like a lot of like, what is God? What do I think about God? Is God, I don't know. I, I have hardly any certainties jesus even less certainties and i talk about that in the book i'm like even jesus himself didn't seem to really care what people thought about him he didn't care that people believed in him he just cared that people believed him like no believe me trust me that mercy is better than revenge trust me that compassion is better than bitterness trust me that love is better than like believe me and then that got turned into believing in him as some sort of theological character um which is i guess fine for a lot of people but that but it takes us off course sometimes anyway i'm getting off course on the point so yeah there's a couple things a couple things i feel certain about uh but man that list just seems to get uh smaller and smaller as the years go by that's really good you spend a little bit of time um 
online um, and engaging with folks in conversation, uh, you're obviously having to spend a little bit more time online in terms of like book launch stuff and like digitally engaging with people. Is that is is life online a comfortable place for you? Uh, like, do you feel like the same? One of the one of the, the one of the interests I have in general is like how we are. Like, how do we actually live online, and how do we engage with with one another? And like, is this a human space? Are we the same humans on you know Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as we are when we're like at the the brew pub or whatever? Like, so do you like is 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 the web, is the internet, Facebook, internet, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, is that a comfortable place for you? Is it just a place where like, I've got to be there, but I wouldn't be there if I didn't have to. Um, are those relationships real? Can you talk about like, what's life like for you online? Over the last five years, the more that I have gone to therapy, the more soul work that I've done, uh, the more healing of past wounds and childhood trauma that I have uh, experienced, the more that I've come home to my true self, in other words, that has correlated precisely with the more that I loathe social media. Hmm. So when I was sort of an unhealthy version of myself, I loved social media because it allowed me to project into the world what I've always projected into the world, which as someone who identifies as type three on the Enneagram is someone who's got my stuff together, someone who has it all figured out, someone who isn't human like the rest of you peons. Um, mm. And I have, you know, operated like that for the majority of my life as a way to, you know, find worth and affirmation in the world. And so social media became just another way to project these false images into the world. Um, look at how great I am, people. Don't you like me? Look at how look at how smart I am. Don't you think I'm worthwhile? Uh, and so, yeah, there was a season where I, where I loved it because I could continue to be this false version of myself, but mm -hmm. but exponentially. Now, the more that I have shed those layers and learning to be more my true self and finding less of my identity and my worth and the things that um, what people think about me, I find now this, this sort of inauthentic space. Well, what can be inauthentic space of Instagram and mm -hmm. Facebook? Um, it, it's, it, uh, it's draining work for me now because mm -hmm. I have to work now extra hard to be like, ah, crap, I do got to show up in these spaces, whether it's because most of our churches online or whether it's because I've got a book coming out, I do got to show up in these spaces, but now I got to make sure that I don't do it in a way that is, um, you know, taps back into those old patterns of projecting this yes. image into the world. So it's a, it's a complicated space for me now. Um, I often say that if it wasn't for being a pastor and or author, then I, I would almost certainly unplug, um, the Facebooks, uh, from my life. So, I do it now and at times I enjoy it, but it's, it's pretty reluctant because it, it, um, it just maps on too closely to the, the old me that I've been trying to shed for the last half a dozen years. I like that. That's good. I like the breakdown. Um, I want to wrap it up here in a, in a couple seconds, uh, a few minutes, if you don't, if you've got some time, um, and, and I want to ask you another, about another section of the book. And then I have this, this other kind of meditation I want to ask you to do. Um, towards the tail end of the book, you write a chapter called when progressives attack, um, which, um, <laughs> I was really glad to, I was really glad to read. Like I enjoyed the book thoroughly and I was really happy to come to a chapter that in terms of, like I talked about like, um, this, this book being a little bit more like signposts, like you, you being really responsible to like, this is my story. This is what I know. Here's what I'm not so sure of is, and hopefully this is helpful. Um, this is a signpost is really, if I'm, I'm going to just say like for me is really helpful because progressivism and progressive culture, uh, I'm, I'm a 46 year old white, like straight white male, um, like, like with a, with an evangelical background. Um, I, for the, you know, I, I don't know exactly where I would land on you know, if there was some sort of like um, unbiased scale of metric for politics and theology and all that kind of stuff, zero. I really no notion. 
but I have all, all generally found progressive spaces to be incredibly unfriendly. Um, even as someone who like, I generally run with people who consider themselves progressives. I, like most of my politics will probably land in spaces that uh, folks would consider progressive. It can just be an incredibly dangerous, uh, like emotionally dangerous, um, and unfriendly place. Um, when you write, when you write this chapter, um, you sort of give folks permission to say, Hey, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going to be at. Also. And show up here and expect fruit, but also uh, bring a shield because there are some folks over here that aren't um, that aren't particularly friendly. Is that is this a matter of like progressivism being new and folks are not um, used to it yet? Is there is 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 the unfriendliness? Well, one, you might not buy that. I don't know if you buy my diagnosis and you're welcome to say like, yeah, it's not been my experience. Is that a matter if but if you do is that a matter of like the newness of progressivism is it a matter of like kind of maybe a lack, a lack of longevity and leadership and discipleship like for folks who find progressivism and progressive spaces to be predominantly unfriendly like why is that the case like why why does your book need a chapter that warns folks hey like this is this might happen to you because you won't find that in most in most books about like cultural movement, and this is where things are headed. You won't find a chapter that's like, "Hey, some of the some of the folks you're going to find when you get or you know when you get where you're going, they might want to throat punch you." But you but you provide a chapter, which again I think is like fan freaking tastic. Thank God you did that. Like, why is that necessary? Like, what is it about progressivism? Why why can these spaces be so unfriendly? So as to necessitate a chapter about when progressives attack. Yeah. A couple thoughts on that. And I, I think your, I think your observations are, are, are astute and I would affirm them that um, certainly not all, but I would say do not be surprised um, if, if you find yourself in a, in a very progressive context and it does have um, an air of, what seems like unkindness or <laughs> hyper judgmentalism in it. Like that is the correlation there is strong. I don't know yet whether if it's causation or if it's just correlation. Uh, I think the jury's still out on that, but let me give a few of my thoughts on that. So the first is, is that uh, there is a whiplash that happens. Hmm. There is a, a surprise. So when people do sort of exit out of their more conservative world, they might initially have this newfound sense of freedom and excitement and enthusiasm. Uh, maybe it's about being an ally to the queer community for the first time. Maybe it's about uh, feeling more woke on uh, racial inequality for the first time. Maybe it's this ex this, uh, this excitement to be a feminist for the first time. And that enthusiasm, um, you know, they take with them into some of these more progressive contexts. And when they start uh, sharing it or they start just getting excited about things, they're they get hit with this fire hose of uh, of, of I, don't, I don't want to say shame but this fire hose of um oh no 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 we don't want that enthusiasm here or that's what it feels like we don't want that enthusiasm here we don't want that um you're you're part of the problem um with that uh, with that sort of talk mm -hmm. uh and that can be a real disheartening for people um and it makes it so that's what the first thing I try to say is, yeah, if, if that's been your experience, in fact, I was just talking to a gal the other day who was a part of had been a part of a Facebook group for uh, people who had come out of evangelical world. And um, she sort of unceremoniously got booted from the group for something that she felt was uh, so innocuous and so unfair. And she just could not wrap her head around. Why did I get ejected for this? Yeah. Like. How, how did, how is this thing that did it? Um, and yet I see that story over and over and over again. So that's, that's the first thing I'd say is just normalizing. Yeah. That whiplash that, uh, and that's why I felt like after this was so important because it's surprising when you take friendly fire for the first time, yeah. no, wait, I thought we were on the same team. Wait, hold on. What's going on? I'm, yeah. I'm trying to support this. I'm trying to whatever. So that's part of it. And then I think, um, one of the things that's impacted me the most uh, in my own spiritual life, the last three years has been uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching on how understanding 
is the is the doorway to love. Yeah. And so he says that understanding leads to compassion and compassion then can lead to love. So we begin by seeking to understand other people. And once we understand them and the and the why and their story, then that moves the compassion of, oh, of course you would react like that, or of course you would think that, or of course, like that makes so much sense. And that lo- and then that compassion leads us to a place of love. And so once we get past the whiplash of, whoa, where's all this friendly fire coming from? I thought we're on the same team. Uh, then my invitation is, okay, now can you, uh, what can you do to try to understand why maybe these spaces feel so unfriendly to you? Why maybe some of these people feel so hypercritical, quick to judge? And when you begin to do some of that work, it's kind of like, you know, a metaphor that I think is kind of lame, but I still use it anyway, is like the the son of things such as um, patriarchy, the son of white supremacy, the son of uh, of, of heteronormative um, culture, the, the son of all of these has been um, burning the skin of people for a really long time. And once people finally sort of get out of some of these systems, their skin is still very tender. They're sunburned. And so if you just come up and just, you know, give them a big slap on the shoulder, like, hey, bud, it's good to see you. Or you give them a big bear hug. They're instantly going to just tense up, react. It's going to be painful because that the, the, their, the surface of their skin is still on fire in many ways. And so a lot of what happens in these progressive spaces is we inadvertently are, are, are um, poking at wounds that are still pretty fresh. Uh, and the reaction of um, of them getting defensive or angry or or what might feel like judgment or unkindness towards us, in many ways, it makes sense. That's the understanding piece of like, oh, yeah, you have been told for your entire life X. And then here I come along and I say Y, but it still sounds like X. I guess that makes sense that you would get pretty, uh, you would react to that. Um, so I think that's really helpful to try to understand what's causing some of the unkindness. Yeah. Uh, and then, then I, you know, I could say a lot more about it, but then I'll say that the third thing I would say is, um, for those like yourself and for like me, meaning we fall into these identity markers of, um, identifying as straight, identifying as white, uh, like we have mounds of privilege in these identity markers. I think one of the ways that we can most show up is with a resolute spine where we do our best to to keep taking the shots even when it's uncomfortable even when even when it feels totally unfair and I that's you know part of the part that gets hardest for me is it feels so unfair I'm like no I'm your ally wait a minute why aren't we're on the same team uh it feels so unfair but if I can hang in there long enough with a with a resolute spine I can say you know what Actually, because I have these layers of privilege, and here's another unhelpful metaphor or analogy that I use, because I have all these layers, I, I actually can, um, because of the way the world has sort of lend itself towards me, because of the way that it's a little bit easier for me to show up into these spaces, I can actually take a lot of arrows and keep going. Hmm. As it turns out, like I can take, a, I can be at the front lines and I can take a lot of arrows and for whatever reason, I, I can just keep going. Whereas I know that the people behind me, one arrow might take them out mm. because of the way the world has been unfairly bent towards them. Uh, and this is how sort of the lens that I see myself as a pastor is, you know, I've been, I was fired by two churches in two years and it sucked. And I had so many reasons, good reasons why to just say F you to the church and leave and never come back. Um, but there are people for whom the church still matters significantly. And there are people for whom were wounded by the church so bad that I think some ways, the only way they can find the healing for that is in another church context. Uh, but that's a different subject. Mm-hmm. So for me, I can, I'm going to say I can keep being on the front lines of this thing and I can take the shots and keep going because I know that the people behind me, because of the way the world has slanted against them, one or two arrows might take them out. So I'm going to take them for them. So I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I know that uh, progressive spaces can drive me mad sometimes. Um, and and uh, and I want to retreat and I want to say, never mind, uh, that those aren't my people after all. Um, but as best as I can, I, I keep I keep showing up, um, eating humble pie when I need to, um, just sitting with the unfairness of it, uh, and in my own little way, try to just try to just keep 
keep keep keeping on. And I love I, I, I appreciate it's hard the, though, isn't it? It's well, hard. yeah, but yeah. that's not the coin. And, and I like that you landed there. It's like, you, you know, I, I I'll say it for me. I mean, I I can take that punch. Like, I, and I know that I can. And it pisses me off. I hate that. I get, I do not like being punched in the face. I don't like it. No one yeah. does. I mean, some people might, but like, I don't like being punched. But I know, I, but I do know I can take it. I go back. I go back to, uh, you know, some my own sources. You know, there's a couple of really great lines in. Um, uh, Dark Knight Rises, uh, the Chris Nolan's Batman, and and the one of the one of which is the, you know they're actually both directed at Bruce Wayne, who's you know who's Batman. Just spoiler in case anyone didn't know that, but the um <laughs> is uh Alfred says to him about the about the Joker and about how just things are just it's chaos and and he says what would you have you know Bruce is like what would you have me do. You know, this is awful. Like I'm, I, I feel like compromising everything that's true about me in order to, to take care of this thing. Like, what would you have me do? And and Alfred's advice was endure, because you can uh, endure. That's the it. That's it. That's the evidence. And then mm. at the tail end, of, at the tail end of the film, after he's like come through like all the stuff that comes, you know, has to come through. What he what he says to uh, what he says to uh, to Gordon. He says, listen, you know, you got to tell people that that Dent was a good guy here and that I killed those cops. And and Gordon's like, the hell, why would I do that? And he says, because I can take it Mm. and then rides off. And I'm like, I and, you know, there's no secret secret for folks who've been around me for a long time. Like, I would love to be Batman. And there are most in most ways most ways in which I just cannot. I I kick very little ass when it actually comes down to it. There's just no way I'm gonna get into a bar fight and win uh, against seven or eight guys. But there are there are ways in which like culturally, um, institutionally, socially, and emotionally, I am postured to take some of these punches. And like that's right. That's just not true about me. Like I know you believe that. I know you believe that about me. I know you think this about me. I know that like you're not giving me space to grow in places that I know I know I need to grow, and I know that you're gonna keep throat punching me as I do. Yeah. But eh, and I can be I can be angry and talk to my therapist about it. But I also know I can take it, and I also yeah. and I know that's part of my job here. Part yeah. of my job here is like you do you do need to maybe throw some punches at some folks who look like the folks that hurt you, and if I can be that's here right. and take it. That's right. Then that's part of my job here. Yep. And um, the counterfactual to that, as you know, is that even if we try to punch back and, and try to double down and, and insist on our character or our intent or integrity, even if we try that, it doesn't really ever work. Like, so <laughs> no, you're not, you're not actually going to get anywhere with that. Uh, so, so don't exhaust your energy getting defensive and um, because it's, just, it's not, from a pragmatic standpoint, it just doesn't work. No. So I don't know. Maybe choose something different. Absolutely. Um. So this is how I would like to end. And I try to end most of my conversations this direction. Um. You're you're four little more than four years into this specific work in San Diego with this tribe of people. You you're um and within that time in you know, these two books, specifically this book, The Shift. Um, so you're doing the work now and, and you seem like the, the kind of person for whom, like I, you can see, I can see this far and I'm going to do these things. And I'm, I'm, and like you said earlier, I'm really trying not to think too hard about like what happens later, but I'm going to ask you for a moment in your, in, in like your heart of hearts, if your work does what you hope it does uh, in the world around you that you can impact. Um, what does life look like around you? What's, what does the world around you look like? And what do you look like 15 years from now? So 15 years down the line, if this does, if this book and probably the book that follows this, this book uh, and the last book, if your church culture does what you hope and intend it does. Because sometimes, sometimes we're right about the things we put in the world. Like some, you, you have to be humble about it. You put it out and and just hope to God something really good happens in people's lives, but at the, but also somewhere in there you're like I, I I wouldn't have released the damn thing if I didn't think I was a little bit right. What, like what does the world around you look like if 
uh, if this work, the work that you're doing as a pastor at Sojourn and as uh, and as an author of The Shift, if this does what you hope it does, what's the world look like? What do you look like 15 years from now? Oh. <laughs> Man, not many things make me uh, sweat and get nervous and anxious, <laughs> like, question, like questions like this Good. of... Where do you see yourself in five years? What's what's yeah. your ten year vision? What's a, so? Yeah. Um, and this isn't a matter of like this is man, what's going to happen. This is literally this is the hope you have in your heart when you no, do I get it in the world. I get it. I get it. And I, I think that um, that that is an area in my leadership that needs to work on anyway, which is having some degree of comfort with projecting into the world and casting vision. Um, so the work that I that my wife and I do co-pastoring our church. One of our main um, missions, if you will, is to be a soft place for people to land when they have, um, when they're leaving their more conservative Christian world. When they so they show up at our church with all sorts of wounds and and baggage from previous churches and church leaders and religious ideas. And so a lot of our work is to be a soft place for people to, to start to, to find wholeness and healing from that pain. And sometimes they stick around and they become part of the community and other times they don't. We just were the triage that they needed and then they're like, oh, cool, thanks. Now that I know that I don't have to go to church to appease some sort of angry God, I'm not going to. And then they leave and we think, you know what, that's great. That's part of why we named our church Sojourn is because yeah. we know that life is just a series of short stays. And so our church might just be a pit stop for you uh, to detach from some of these um, unhealthy ideas. Um, but, but I don't, well, I was going to say, but I don't know that that mission's always going to be there at the same time. Um, I also don't think sort of conservative evangelical Christianity is going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, that thing's going to be around for a while. So as long as that thing's going to be around for a while, there's going to be people that are going to be, um, ejected out of it and, and climbing, crawling, limping away from it. So that part of our work, I think 15 years from now, as much as it pains me to say, will still be alive and well. Hmm. Um, but I, but that's not the end of the work. And that's, that's where I think after about three years of doing our church, we had to really kind of sit down and assess, okay, we're not just a triage. We're not just a hospital. Like we actually do want not only for people to find healing and wholeness, but then we, what's after that? Like that, that interests us as well, not just being a soft place to land, but being a place where people can uh, grow and transform, grow. What did I sound like an old, uh, <laughs> an old church leader there? Um, but I mean it in a different way. I don't mean it like in, in um, looking at less pornography or swearing less. Uh, I'm really indifferent towards either one of those things. Um, growth for me is about, moving closer and closer to who you really are to your true identity uh and then once you're firmly planted in your in your the reality that you are pure love and you are loved unconditionally um then you can just start to give that away and the giving of it away is what uh frees people um what 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 loosens the chains of uh, of shame that, that hold people back? It's what uh, brings about justice in the world. Is when you you have just an excess of love to give away. So I think part of our work will always be there, the the sort of healing part. Um, but I think if we're doing our job well, then then people that uh, are either exposed to the work of our church or through the the books that I'll continue to write, um, they're finding more and more wholeness, which for me is connection with ourself, connection with others and connection with the divine. Um, and I really think that that's a, that's a, uh, a lifelong pursuit that, uh, that doesn't have an end point. I'm not trying to get people to a certain point. Um, it is just a constant movement or transformation yeah, it really is the point. Mm, that's great, man. Goldby, thanks for. Is it? I don't know. Even as I say it, I'm like, that's <laughs> no, a stupid no, answer. I've, I've, no, Justin, it's not. You should, you should kill the podcast five minutes <laughs> to go. Just, <laughs> hard stop. Just be like, I don't know what happened, listeners. Suddenly, Colby just disappeared. The no. internet cut out. I mean, that's awesome. like that's just this is what I mean. It's like that's this is like and kind of we bookended it a little bit this way. Like it, this is the sort of the 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 engine in, of your work like the hope that you have for what you do I mean, that's that's 
I think for a lot of folks, when you start off a book and in which you, you're saying, "Hey, I, like, there's a lot of stuff I'm not certain of," uh, and I'm and I'm like, specific, I'm letting go of the foundation of 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 certainty, um, to be able to present a hope that's like, "Hey, I don't know exactly." I don't know exactly. There are some things, yeah, I would like, I know this is going to be happening. But to say, like, if the goal isn't to get you somewhere, the goal is for you to buy into, like, the long, the, the, the long work of your own transformation. That that's, that's actually the goal. I think that is, that I, I hope, <laughs> I hope that that can be a distinctive of uh, progressive Christianity is actually mm. to legitimately, if you're going to be progressive, well, that be progressive, be about progress then. Be about like taking a next step yep. and don't be so yep. unfriendly to latecomers as if you got here when you were supposed to. Yeah. Like, so the notion of like buying into our next step is like, that's what actual spiritual maturity might look like is knowing you have a next step as opposed to like knowing you're gonna get where you're gonna go. I think that's I think the the really beautiful and really helpful pastoral hope, and I, I find that in the book. And uh, so I'm thankful for you and for what you did here. And I'm glad you're doing it down there with an actual group of people. Uh, thanks, Justin. I, I really appreciate that. And thank you for listening to this episode of the At Sea Podcast. If you'd like to follow up with Colby, his book or his previous book, you can visit him at colbymartinonline.com. You can visit me at justinmcroberts.com. And if you like what we're up to here with the podcast. We'd love to have you on board as a member of the team. You jump to patreon.com and search my name, Justin McRoberts. Until next time.